What is Crackalacky and Hardware Knocks listeners? I am Banff Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Prommel this time. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by Iman Adden from the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Great podcast. You should check them out. She's also over at Yahoo Sports Canada and Basketball News. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Iman underscore Adden. That's at I-M-M-A-N underscore A-D-A-N. She's a great follow on Twitter. We get into a lot about the Toronto Raptors, one of the teams that she primarily covers, but she also covers the entire league at large. And so we just, we run through the rest of the, the Eastern Conference, talk a lot of heat, bulls, some Celtics, bucks, nets. We go, we go around the horn there, even some calves sprinkled in, in addition to the Raptors. There's a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy the discussion before we get started. Just the usual housekeeping notes. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if it's your first time checking us out. Consider throwing us the permanent sub. And whether you use iTunes or not, it helps us out a bunch if you go over there, throw us a five-star rating, and write a review. Both those steps uh, assist us a ton, as I said before. Be sure to check out and join our Discord. We have a bunch of people in there now. We've run uh, one live game conversation so far. That was a that was a bunch of fun as well. The Link is in the podcast description, so join us on Discord. Also, follow us on YouTube, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up, throw us a sub there. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox, and follow us on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Our personal socials are also in the podcast description. Without further ado, though, let's get to some Eastern Conference basketball talk with Amon Adden. Aman, thank you so much for hopping on the Hardwood Knox podcast. It is the first time I bothered you and you said yes. So I am super excited to talk some hoops with you. First and foremost, though, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. The the Raptors, I feel like we're going to, they're not, they're not doing the best right now. And my mood kind of works with how well they're playing. But, you know, beyond that, I'm pretty good. Uh, I would call myself a deadly disenchanted Knicks fan. And so if I allowed my mood to be tethered to how they were faring, <laughs> I think I would just be, um, perpetually depressed. So there needs to be some separation there. The actual first question I have from you is I think I saw, I think it was you on Twitter a few weeks ago, our fellow listens to podcasts at two times speed person. Yes. People think I'm, I'm bonkers for doing that. I, I can't do it any other way. Okay, two times might be like if I'm listening to Tim Bontemps, I'm not listening to him at two times speed. I don't know if you can do that. There are certain people that speak a little quick. I talk fast um, that I can't do at two times speed. 1.5 is a minimum for everybody. Um, And then two times speed is, is generally what I do. Have you ever I listen to basically everyone at two times speed. There's like some people, including myself, if I listen back. Yeah. 1.5 speeds a lot. And I've been told some people can't even listen yeah. to me on that because I just ramble and ramble and ramble. No, but you're a quick talker. So it's just like, it, it's hard to keep up sometimes. Right. There might be a gem in there that I miss listening to it too quickly. <laughs> um, have you ever gone back though and listened to anything at like regular speed and how slow it sounds? <laughs> yeah. I feel like something is wrong with my phone. Like, cause sometimes I don't know if it like resets to the default or something. Uh, I also listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. <laughs> Um, and so sometimes I'll slow them down to, to one time speed, but if I switch over to like a basketball pod or anything else, I'm like, what is happening? Like, why is this taking so much of my time? Why am I only a quarter in? Why is everyone talking so slow? And then I realized what the problem was. Yeah. And when you listen to so many podcasts too, it's like, who just has the time to sit there and listen to it at regular exactly. speed? There's too much good things out there to consume that I'm not going to listen to anything at one time speed. But I don't know if this has happened to you. And we're probably going on too far of a tangent on this, but I don't know if this has happened to you. I listen to spaces sometimes, or I'll have real conversations where I'm just sitting in listening to people talk. And I'm like, I can't, for one, go 15 back <laughs> to hear what I just missed <laughs> as I zoned out. I can't do that when my boss is talking to me and it's, whoop. Um, but then I also like can't sit in the spaces and speed anyone up. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, my brain has been broken because of podcast. It's spaces specifically, or like any of the many just like chat room apps, whatever out there now, yeah. when it's not, I guess, someone who does it enough or talks even like, I say like a lot. I have my my stammers, my us. But if it's someone who like I had a re- teacher have a like counter for me in class when I was in high school. <laughs> That's how bad I am with that. So uh, you would think I would get better at it at least after podcasting for like 
five, six, seven years, however long it's been, and no, it's bad. But if it takes someone a while to like spit out a point, that's where yeah. I'll like I'll lose a train of thought. The yeah. the one thing I can't do, and I think the reason I saw that you listened to podcasts at two times speed was because I saw a follow up tweet from you that says you watch stuff at like one and a half speed now. Okay, not like a TV show, right? Not like a like I'm not watching The Office at one point five speed, but like. I, like I watch Love is Blind. I have like a lot of reality TV guilty pleasures and I watch a lot of documentaries too. I can't for the life of me because it's a similar thing where people are trying to get their point across and they talk around the point before getting to the point. So I just need to hit that 1.5 on that or 1.25. I tried it in advance of this podcast because I, I've never even thought about doing it with something I'm watching. And I did it with a random episode of New Girl on Netflix at 1.5 speed. Yeah. I lasted maybe a minute. I can't yeah. do it. That's going no, too that's, far. I don't know that's how impossible. you do it. That's impossible. I can't, I can't do Like, I can't watch New Girl. I can't watch, like, a, a scripted TV show. But if it is a documentary or even reality TV, like, if you're going to watch Love is Blonde, if you're binging it, 1.25, it, like, it makes trash reality TV so much more enjoyable. I'll give that a shot. I don't watch too much reality TV, but I guess that makes sense. I was just thinking, like, how am I supposed to enjoy this? It oh, no, you can't. You can't do that. I can't do that. I can't watch like a, a comedy. Like I'm not watching Community or New Girl at 1.5. I can't do that. Sam Hankey definitely is. Maybe even yeah. at like 2.5. There are limits to my insanity. Uh, I did bring you on to talk about basketball, specifically the Eastern Conference, but more specifically also the Toronto Raptors, who anyone who listens to this podcast knows that my co-host and I have this mega ultra soft spot for them this season. Um, they are 20 and 10 since they fell to like their worst record or whatever it was this season, top 10 defense during that time, top 10 net rating aside from getting healthy and Nick nurse playing his top players, like a bajillion minutes, what has been like the driving force behind their sort of turnaround? It feels overly simplistic to say, but that's kind of it. The Raptors are, are built a lot like a, a house of cards and you take one piece out of it and they all come tumbling down. And I think that that's been more apparent this last few weeks more than at any other point in the season because you just mentioned it 20 and 10 since their poor start they've lost before beating the nets we're not even going to talk about that because that's what's about Kyrie the, Simmons, the long island nets at this yeah point. We're, yeah we're not going to talk about that before those two back-to-back -back wins earlier this week they lost four to five games and they were not losing it like they had one where they lost right at the buzzer to to the nuggets which was a, a great game and a very raptors-esque game Outside of that, they were losing by 30 points to the Hawks, the Pelicans, and the Hornets. 30 points like each of those teams, who are teams that the Raptors have comfortably beat before, uh, feel like they're better than, and, and you know have had wins. But you look at it, and you're like, okay, you're taking OG Ananobi out, and you're, Pascal Siakam is dealing with a sickness, and Brett Van Vliet is clearly hurt and has missed a couple of those games. Like It kind of makes sense that one or two of those pieces come out, and everything comes tumbling down. And I've I've really been trying to sit with it because OG Ananobi is not the difference between beating the Hawks comfortably and losing by 30 points. Right. <laughs> like, he's not worth that. But it feels like every single person on this roster is worth twice as much as they are. And someone like OG, who is arguably the defensive anchor of the team and one of the only floor spacers on the team, is really difficult when you have 14, 15 guys on the roster and only three of them are above league average in three-point shooting. You take one of those guys out and really the offense and the defense absolutely crumbles and the Raptors have had I mean if if they're 20 and 10 and have just lost four games by like 30 points collectively to teams under 500 they had been doing really well before that stretch and that's because they were healthy does that ever worry you though when you're looking at like specifically the top four or five guys at how many minutes think nurses playing them right now even with Fred Van Fleet being banged up and OG missed both their games against the Nets too right mm -hmm, yeah so like does that concern you at all even like when they got Thad Young I was like Oh, a seventh guy in the rotation, basically. That's kind of huge. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Um, it. It does, especially because what's going to happen is you're overextending Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes when OG and Fred are hurt, and then one of them is going to get injured, and then you're overextending Gary Trent. You know, it just it feels like a cycle that's never ending. Um, so that's why it was so necessary for them to get a seventh guy in the rotation. Um, and, and Nick finally has kind of gone a little bit to the bench. Part of that is because they were playing the G League, uh, the, the Long Island Nets. Um, but it's certainly a concern. It's probably why I don't have them with, you know, even the Cavs and the Celtics. I probably put them just like a, a rank above, uh, below those teams only because I 
they just don't have the guys. Yeah. There's something like Thibodeauian about some of the stuff Nick Nurse has done this year with the minutes. And then I think he even said with Malachi Flynn, because as you said, he started playing and he was just basically, unless I'm misquoting him, was like, well, he just wasn't showing it in practice or something like that. It was like, dude, you need just bodies in the court at this point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you're not, and the leash on these guys is so short on the court as well. Like Utah makes one mistake or Steve misses one three and it's like, you're pulling them. It's like, please, we just need a body. Just like two minutes of time. And then Nick does this thing where he like, plays all of the bench together. And it's like, well, of course, if you're having these hockey rotations, the bench is going to look bad because they're just, you're not, there's no mixing out here. So um, it's interesting. Nick has a, a very, it, a couple of years ago, bubble year. So the year after uh, Kawhi left, um, the Raptors got Stanley Johnson and um, who am I forgetting? Who did they get? Who did they get? Uh, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. Two guys known for their defense. <laughs> they couldn't crack the rotation ahead of like guys like Terrence Davis and things. And everyone was like, Raptors need bodies. They're so thin. Like you have Stanley Johnson and Rodney Hollis right there. And he's like, their defense isn't up to par with what we do here in practice. So we're not going to play them. And they're like, what? Like plays. But then that's what happened. And until, you know, Stanley and, and Rondé started playing defense, well, uh, Nick Nurse didn't play them. And he ended up, you know, they, they played plenty of minutes towards the end of to the latter half of the season. So I guess the Raptors just feel like, hey, we're a championship team <laughs> regardless. And if you're not playing championship level defense, you're not seeing the court. I think part of my emotional attachment to the Raptors is I have a soft spot for players where I feel like there's this perception of them and it could be negative for some reason. And it could be overwhelmingly positive, turned to negative, and then never shift back. It feels like Pascal Siakam league-wide has been at that point for a while. And he has quietly had, he would have made my all-star team if I had like any power over that. Um, going through my all-NBA teams uh, quickly, I'm pretty sure he's going to make one of my three. What has most impressed you about him this season? But also, do you have like any sort of theory or explanation for why he's, I don't want to use the cliche word underrated, but why the perception is the way it is of him? I, I have that same thing with you where those are my favorite guys. Like there's a reason why I really like Rudy Gobert probably more than most people. Cause I'm just like, no one is appreciated. You are in the minority now. with that. <laughs> I, I, I recognize, I recognize that, but it's more so like, and it's, it's why I became a diehard Kyle Lowry fan as Raptor fans were telling me DeMar DeRozan was better. And I'm like, what are we watching on the court? Anyway, besides the point, um, back to Pascal Siakam. It, I think one of the things that like really bothers me that people do really quickly is anoint guys. And I think that he was anointed fairly early on uh and he was the most improved player in 2019 and he was the the number two scoring option on a championship win team against guys like Jonathan Isaac Rudy Rudy Gobert Jonathan Isaac Giannis Antetokounmpo uh Draymond Green who else did he play Joel Embiid those were the guys guarding him which could field an all-NBA first defensive team right like right there so he he did deserve a lot of the praise but I felt like a lot of that was given to him a, a little too quickly, a little too early, how much praise was heaped on him. I still think Kyle Lowry was the second best player on that team. Uh, I still think Kyle Lowry was the best player on the team the following year, although he didn't make an all NBA team uh, ahead of Pascal Siakam. So I, I think that's part of it. And then also the bubble came and I'm not like people don't watch the Toronto Raptors. Like I, I recognize that they're the Canadian team. They don't get nationally televised games in America because we're in Canada. Our rate TV ratings don't count for us. Right. So I recognize people don't watch him. And then the bubble came and that's where everyone started to watch everything because it was just 24 seven basketball with nothing else going on in the world. And he was coming off of a groin injury. He was an all NBA player, an all-star starter that year. And what people saw was the worst version of Pascal Siakam that we've ever seen. And so the narrative changes just as quickly as it began for him. And so I think that's part of it. Um, at least that's my understanding of what's happening. It changed in Toronto as well. It felt like Raptor fans were really quickly dismissing him uh, and wanting him off the team. But this year, I I think you asked like how he's improved as well. It feels like every point of his game. I mean, his handle was so much tighter than it's been. He's got an in-between game, which was a thing that he didn't really have before where he does have that floater. Now Uh, his touch around the basket is so much better because he's so much stronger and can finish with through contact. Now Uh, he leads the team in, in, in free throw um, rate, which I mean, is not very high, but still he's the only really guy that can um, really draw contact and, and finish through it consistently. His playmaking is probably the number one thing that you would say has improved this season where even Fred Van Vliet has uh, Fred, Fred has never really been 
uh, better on ball as he's been off ball. And with the emergence of Pascal Siakam as a guy who we've seen play point power forward so often for this team, he is the point guard. Um, quite often, even when Fred shares the court with him, uh, has allowed Fred to to unleash his game as, as you know, an off ball shooter. So I, the playmaking, the handle being tighter, the ability to finish through contact, the in-between game, being able to hit that floater, that mid-range shot that he hasn't really had in the past, um, has taken this game to another level. This is the best Pascal Siakam that we've seen. Um, and that's not even mentioning his defense. And I think for a good chunk of that, you know, January run where they had a seven or eight game win streak, it was Pascal Siakam playing some of the best defense that we've ever seen uh, as well. That was one of the first things that stood out to me was the passing because to yeah. me, the mark of a good player is if you're making decisions that I can't understand in real time. And when you go back and watch him and it seems like he's seen like two or three different passes he can throw. And then you mentioned the handle, which I think is really just also helped him become like a little bit more unpredictable with his directionality on drives, where if you go back like right. two years or something, but it was a straight line almost. And now it's just like, he can be all over the place and is better through traffic. So those are the things that stood out to me. And that's, I think you're probably spot on with the anointing, like that rush to coordinate definitely skews how we view players as well. And I don't know that he's ever recovered from it, but his play has recovered from it. And yet the yeah. perception is. And so, and we were at the point where people just thought he was on this terrible contract and even even the people that watch him and you could see it more religiously or closely were criticizing him for not being number one material on a title team. That's like, if we're being honest, that might be 10 guys in the league. And so I think that's, I think that's generous. I think 10 <laughs> guys as a number one player on a championship team is generous. There's so few. Right. And if that's like the criticism, if that's the bar to which we're holding him, there's real value in being the two or the three on a title team. Like the Knicks are seeing that now that Julius Randle is imploded where he doesn't even look like he could be the number three on a really good team. So that's the part I never understood is you, you, there are people commenting who, you know, watch him and it's just, Oh, he's not a number one. So it's just, that's a problem. But sorry, he's not Kawhi Leonard guys. Like, And also it's just like, well, you need a number one to win a championship. You need a number two to win a championship team. And what happens when you trade your number two for just, I don't know, scraps, and then you're looking to get that guy because you're wasting your number one's prime because he doesn't have that that pip into his Jordan. And there's been no like steadiness in the hierarchy of the Raptors because you go from like having DeRozan, then you add Kawhi, then Kawhi is gone, and now Kyle Lowry is gone. And so it's just been like this. He's been like shimmied between these different roles and arguably was probably just like promoted or, or shoved into a little bit of an outsized role more so than he was ready for. And now he's just clearly ready for it. Um, I don't think he's perfect. Like if you were naming half court options and creators, no, you don't necessarily, he's not going to be, I don't know where he ranks in that, but no. he's been so good this year. And it was just, yeah. I was shocked he didn't make the all-star team, especially when uh, Jared Allen was great this year. I would have put Siakam over Allen. I would have put him over Chris Middleton, who made it as well too. He's just been absolutely yeah. spectacular. He's been, yeah, he's been so good. And I, I think, you know, we talked about the, just the the lack of Raptors depth, but you just mentioned it right there. Um, uh, like just to point out why the Raptors are so thin, Fred Van Vliet and you know, that DeRozan team that won 59 games first in the East, yada, yada, that team had Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet coming off the bench. The championship team had OG, OG Ananobi coming off the bench. And now all three of those guys are starters. Norman Powell was traded for Gary Trent. He's been a bench player the entire time. So now he's a starter. So literally your entire bench for your run where you were winning 59 to, to 60 games every single year is now your starters. And so you don't have a bench. You have to sort of refill those guys. And that's kind of what the Raptors are trying to do right now with the Malachi's and the Preciouses um, is, is hopefully build that next iteration, the next up. Um, and yeah, for, for the time being, they're just going to be really thin. I, that's an interesting and right on framing, but I didn't really consider like all these guys were basically on the bench for them just a few years ago. Yeah. That is wild. Fred Van Fleet, I'm excited you're here because, and especially because I watched him a little more closely in advance of this discussion, obviously not pre-All-Star break. How has he leveled up his game? I feel, and the way I put it in the outline series is that I feel like I'm just always continuously watching a better version of the same player, which just doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's exactly what it is. It's, it's so... so Okay, so I have never been the biggest Fred Van Vliet person until the last couple of years. And, and part of that was I knew that he was, like I said, all the bench guys are now the starters. And he was sort of taking over that Kyle Lowry role. And he has never really profiled as a, as a point guard. He is much better off ball than he is on ball. And part of that was his decision making with the ball. Part of that was his playmaking. He, when he first came into the league, 
had such tunnel vision where he would just, if he had the ball, he was not, no one else was going to see it. It was going to be Fred Van Vliet's show and he would drive right into a seven footer right at the basket for no reason. <laughs> like Fast break, Fred Van Vliet is going to be a turnover at any given time because he's just going to like run into, I don't know, the rim might block a shot. It's, it's really difficult when you're a, a guard that's barely six feet tall to, to really try to finish around the rim and that's always going to be a bit of a struggle. But the game has slowed down for him. The amount of doubles that both he and Pascal see um, or get uh, daily in in every single game and his ability to just make the reads and make the pass at the right time, his playmaking has improved tenfold. Um, Not to bring up some some harsh memories, but back to the bubble, the Raptors had a, a game seven against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And it was game seven. It came down to to the wire with under a minute left. There was, it was a three point game. I think the Raptors were down three with under a minute left and Kyle Lowry fouled out. And that's when I was like, okay, well, that's it. Like, <laughs> Go home. It's done. And part of that was, I, I did not trust Fred Van Vliet's decision-making and what ended up happening. It's been a while since I've watched this, but I, I feel like I'm pretty sure Fred just almost dribbled out the clock. (laughs) He had Jalen on him. Uh, Grant Williams got switched on to him and he ended up taking um, this highly contested three from like 10 feet back, it felt like. And it didn't even hit close to rim. I, I feel like it was an air ball. And that's what the Raptors final possession was on a game seven, like the potential tying basket. Um, and, and, that was what Fred Van Vliet was just uh, two years ago. And so where he's gone to now, where he is a playmaker, his on-ball is phenomenal. He takes like 10 threes a game and really should be taking 15 with just how deadly he is. Um, his defense has always been superb. That's never like, you know, that's why he's in the NBA for starters. Um, but his decision-making, the way the game sows for him, the way that he sees everything, the way that he's able to get everybody involved, he's just truly changed entirely as a player what he was just two years ago to what he is right now it's night and day it feels like yeah that's a good point he definitely does feel like more of a point guard I always think too because you mentioned how he's so much still so much better off the ball than on the ball yeah I I tend to think about like and I this is a pretty big part of your game to just come along but he is shooting better from mid range this year if he hit like off the dribble threes at even a close to league average rate like like we're probably looking at like an all NBA type of lock at that point, because that feels like, yeah, there's the finishing a little bit, but when you look at what he does defensively, how far he's come along as a, as a passer, and now he has like the in-between game or at least the accuracy on it a little bit. If yeah. he's like hitting off the dribble threes or just pull up jumpers um, in general, more consistently, that's just like an incredibly complete player. I understand that's sort of like a big, what if though, to just pose, especially at this point in his career. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, like it, it's, I, I don't not see it for Fred Benley. I think there have been games where it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like he can do that off the drip. Like, so th- there have been moments. I think it's just consistent to see with everything and uh, with everyone and hopefully just like getting healthier, but I'd love to continue to see Scotty and, and Pascal be the guys that have the ball in their hand moving forward and, and uh, unleash your shooting guard, Fred Benley. I was not a Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs guy, but mm-hmm. once the Raptors made that decision, I immediately rethink everything because it's, oh, Masai Ujiri spearheaded this decision. Like I'm missing something. What has most surprised you, impressed you about rookie year Scotty Barnes, who is playing, even if you expected him to play regularly, is playing a lot more than I ever saw him playing. Yeah. I mean, especially like considering, you know, last year was uh, a, COVID year for call. I don't watch any college basketball. I don't know how any of it works, but I imagine there weren't as many. I don't know. Uh, He was coming off the bench. I'm assuming not a lot of practices for them. I know, I know that for a fact that they didn't really have practices because of COVID and the games must've been sort of, I don't know, a, a condensed season. So for him to come from that to this where he's like playing 40 minutes a night um, and like the rookie wall like comes, but he's just been able to push past that. He just had a game where he was what 10 for 10 in the first half and just like grabbing up every single offensive board. I think what surprised me the most is I, as someone who does not watch college basketball, um, I take everything that I know from like other people, <laughs> just talking to people and hearing what they have to say. And I was told, you know, Scott is a zero level scorer. <laughs> Like, he doesn't have any finish around the rim. You know, there's no mid-range. He can't shoot a three. Like, he's he's literally a zero-level scorer was what I heard coming into it. And then his first basket in the NBA was this lefty skyhook. And I was like, 
excuse me, Kareem, like, what are we <laughs> like? Uh, so for one, I think it's I, I didn't think that he would have much touch. Um, I mean, anyone who watched Friday Night All-Star Game was going to say that he doesn't, but but he does. <laughs> and he's been he's been absolutely fantastic. One of my favorite plays of his this year was just him grabbing the ball directly out of Kevin Durant's hands like he was just like yoink I'm the adult and you're the skinny child here um which surprises me every single time is his strength and his size like he is just so big for a rookie um and his ability to just not even see contact um being able to fit into this team defensively like I think he's probably the starter that has the most sort of like ugh moments but um the Nick Nurse plays a, a very aggressive style defense and um, the Raptors are able to lock down with him there. He's been absolutely superb with his size. It's his size. It's his strength. It's the fact that he's not a zero level scorer, but can actually score the ball. He just is coming off of a 20 point, 28 point game. Um, there's not enough good things I can say about Scotty Barnes. I've been a big proponent of like wanting him to come off the bench a little. Um, and, and that's been met with a lot of like ire from Raptor fans just because there's this title of being a starter and it feels like a demotion for a guy to come off the bench. But when he plays alongside Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, those are your top three guys, you know, your first, second and, and tertiary option. And that's not even mentioning Gary Trent Jr. Who's had, you know, five, I think straight 30 plus point games. <laughs> like he factors in so much to this Raptors offense. I think that's a, a franchise leading record tied with DeMar DeRozan. So that makes Scotty the fifth option. And that means the ball's rarely in his hands. That means he kind of is playing a garbage man role. So I'd like to see him run a little bit with the bench. So we actually truly sees what he has in terms of, you know, handling the ball a little bit, uh, playmaking, because he's able to see the court in a way that like Fred just can't because he's a foot taller than him. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to see more of that, hopefully uh, next season. Um, and and maybe even in the latter half of the year, just getting him more run with, with the bench guys. Do you see that as like being the end game for him is where you, they want him to be more of like sort of a from scratch creator, whether it's for himself and, or, or others. I hope so. Cause how crazy would that be if that guy is six, nine with a seven foot wingspan, like how insane would this Raptors team look if that's the case? So I hope so. And I, I, the sky's the limit with the kid because every limitation I've heard about his coming into the season, he's just absolutely smashed. Yeah. I just absolutely floored. Like even him just moving through like super tight spaces in the half yeah. court. And he's, he's made like catch and shoot, like floaters, hooks, or just mid rangers of thing again, which if it's like, it doesn't look like you're watching nineties basketball, but he's like, that's part of his touch is it's not like he's pounding the ball and getting to these spots, but he's just like, He's moving, he's getting through the defense, then he just has this touch like immediately off a catch. And it's just pretty much everything about him this season is for me based on, I don't watch any college basketball in real time. I will do a crash course before the draft and try and watch film. And like you said, you rely on people who are actually smart um, when it comes to college <laughs> basketball. Uh, I was just like, eh, I don't see it. And he's just, he's blown away. Literally like even the, op the Scotty Barnes optimists don't even seem like they saw this coming. Yeah. The one person I will say is coach David Thorpe. He was just like, he had Mobley and, and Barnes is number one and two. And I think that that's what the Raptors had on their draft board as well. Um, and, and he, he, he came onto our podcast, I think even before the season started and said like the kid, the, like MVP level uh, in 10 years is what we're talking about. And I was just like, what? <laughs> I don't know what 10 years. Maybe he's at five, but I was like insane. Uh, so, so he's probably a little, it's very optimistic. I don't want to call a 20 year old, a potential MVP in five years, especially considering all of the limitations in his game still, but um, he's just been super. What have you thought about Thad Young's fit so far? And just as a follow-up to that, like, so there's him, there's Boucher. And then all of a sudden, like that's your top seven guys in the roster, basically who intrigues you most long-term beyond those top seven guys on this roster. Um, who intrigues me the most is precious, precious. Oh, wow. Um, Precious Achua is the most entertainingly like it. It's so fun. Like he's an enigma because um, sometimes you watch him play basketball and I'm like, all right, let's let's call the league up. I have a future Hall of Famer on deck. Um, let's write him <laughs> in. What is this man? How is he? How can someone his size even do this? And then sometimes you watch him and you're like, has he ever played basketball? <laughs> is this his first time on an NBA court? Um, 
like talk about a zero level um offensive player sometimes but his defense <laughs> is just superb uh, but but his like when he right now the, the Raptors kind of um <laughs> you just mentioned it Chris Boucher Thad Young is sort of the top seven both those guys are what six nine um <laughs> and then Precious Achua another six nine guy that's kind of entirely what the Raptors uh are made of so Precious sometimes as um you know most six nine guys are do when you play all of them together uh stands out in the corner and he's just been lights out from there which is so weird because he was not a three-point shooter I've never seen him take a three or make a three with the um with the heat uh he's he's intriguing only because like he's such a project I'm not like he's nowhere close to being what the Raptors want him to be he's got these flashes though where he just looks absolutely insane and they come once every other 10 you know games or so uh so he's by far the biggest project on the team but defensively he's it for them like he's so so good he knows exactly where he needs to be even though you have kind of those rookie moments with Scotty at times I don't feel like when Precious is there that that happens um he's like him him and Boucher together the chemistry that they have is is actually like just so much fun to watch he's also a high energy guy um it's honestly Precious just because he is the most work but he's so young he's only like what 21 this is his second year and sometimes it just doesn't feel that way um so I'd like to see what they can turn Precious into if, if they can do anything with him offensively because he's, he's still so incredibly raw yeah some of the lineups that and I guess he has to throw them out but it was I, I think it was Thad Young's first game where it was like Boucher Young Siakam Achua and Banton were on the floors I haven't seen oh, the they, lineup since, that. luckily but it's just no, like that's that's a weird that's a weird lineup. I I didn't know you were going to say Banton in the end. So it's like okay, you're not going to have a single guy who can space the floor, uh, and that's part of why OG Ananobi is so important because he factors so much into those like all six nine lineup. So <laughs> the Raptors can field six nine players one through five, um, and they do that. Uh, that's like usually their lineup to I think start the second uh, and possibly even the fourth. I think I think that's what they do to start the second and the fourth. And it's just all six nine guys and precious features heavily into that. Uh, you need OG and Obi's floor spacing, but you also need precious floor spacing sometimes in those lineups, which is hilarious to say uh, in the oddest ways. But yeah, the Raptors are a weird team. That's kind of the, the fatty young thing was so odd because everyone was just like, well, what do the Raptors need? And it turns out to just be bodies, but <laughs> it was like, um, you know, should we get a big, should we get, you know, a floor spacer? Should we get like, what do we need? And Masai was like, we're getting our, what we have at home already. Like, we're just going to get <laughs> more of the same. It's like, it felt like, you know, a cartoon character's closet where like you open up their closet and it's the same thing all the time. Because like, I don't know if you've ever seen that kind of like the joke in cartoon shows. That's exactly what the Raptors are. You open their wardrobe and it's like, oh yeah, six, nine, seven foot wingspan, uh, can defend, play, make a little bit. And, uh, that's what they're going to get uh, more of at all times. It's fun. Like a Doug Funny going through his closet and it's just a green exactly. sweater vest with a white t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. There was something that offended me about that lineup in Tad Young's game, though. Even like the Raptors, like I know that's been sort of their thing, but whatever it was, and I, I'm probably misnaming one of the names. I was just like, what is this? I don't think I've seen it again. So maybe Nick Nurse saw enough of it, too. That, yeah, like with Delano in there, it feels weird. I don't know. I guess he has played that. It's a mix of names. They can field so many different 5-9 lineups, like 6-9 lineups. It's it's just, it's odd. It's sometimes really bad. But sometimes it works. And the one with, with OG, Siakam, Precious, Boucher, is it? And it's not Scotty. It might be Delano. That might be the one. There's just know. something I like can't. that. <laughs> They have broken your brain with their roster set up. They really have. This is, you already mentioned. Out of the lineup now. It's weird. (laughs) You mentioned this already, and I have an agenda here because for the past two years, it's been the Raptors need a big, the Raptors need a big, the Raptors need a big. My belief has been that I think they need more like, I don't want to say someone, like you lost Kyle Lowry and you just didn't replace him. And I don't want to say you need the next Kyle Lowry, but to me, it feels like they still kind of need that point of attack, half court, off the dribble, jet fuel. I guess the pushback would be, and you not, but you sort of alluded to it is if you think that Scotty Barnes is going to be that guy, if you trust OG Ananobi in certain minutes to do more on the ball, maybe you're okay operating outside of that. What is the biggest need then for this, to, like in terms of player archetype or whatever moving forward? I, I, I'm, I'm with you on it probably not being a big, um, only because. It would be nice to have a backup big. Look, I was really big on the, you know, if you can bring Jakob Pertl as a starting big on the team, but I think the price would have been too high for that. 
Um, the other, the other thing that I really, or the other player that I really, really wanted was Eric Gordon, where I was just like, the Raptors just need yes. something. Like it's, it would be so nice to have, you know, like a, a vet to come off the bench that can just space the floor. The bench need, the starters need it. Like it's just more floor spacing. I think is number one what this team needs. I think it unlocks the offense in a whole other complete way. I do think that they're hoping that OG can take that next step. Pascal, that you have enough with maybe even Gary Trent. He's not much of a cutter. He's not much of a finisher. He kind of just operates in the mid-range or or out from three. But he's also 21. Like <laughs> Some of these guys are just so... But he's probably 22 now. He's younger, though, than I... Whenever I look at Gary Trent Jr.'s age, I'm like, oh, he's only that. It's 21, He was the whatever. youngest player on the Raptors last season. Oh wow! Which Didn't was even realize so, that was so odd to me. Um, now they've got a bunch of young guys with with Delano and, and Scotty coming in, but I think he's still it's Delano, Scotty, and him. Um, Playing for so the Blazers he, must age you. Perhaps that's what because it feels like he was there for like ten years for some reason. <laughs> that's probably it. That's probably it. Um, and so, so yeah. So I think I, I still think it's floor spacing. I think if they could if they could have gotten a guy like Eric Gordon, that would have been phenomenal for this team. Um, but just more shooting, like <laughs> just sometimes you watch this team and you're just like, oh my gosh, because yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say that. Cause I think they're hoping that everybody else kind of develops and takes that next step that you can maybe have Gary Scotty, like someone with a face-up game would be nice. Someone who can kind of, I think they're hoping that Gary maybe or Scotty. Larry Gordon would be like a nice bridge just because he's also like, it's not, he's not creating off the dribble, but he's rim pressure yeah. off the dribble. Like he will yeah. just barrel through guys. And that would be something that I think they could use as well too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Is there anything before I ask you a big picture question about this team, anything that we didn't touch upon that you think needs to, to be on court uh, for the Raptors this season? I feel dirty, not asking an OG and an OB question, but that might just be I a feel testament like to about him a lot. What's that? We talked about him a lot. Yeah. I think he got he got his love. But yeah, no, OG is so integral to what the Raptors do. I really do feel like he's the glue of this team. I think he kind of holds all of the pieces together. Um, and his ability to just be unlocked, like when the Raptors were rolling, um, because like from December to like the middle of January before everything kind of fell to pieces, they were what a, a top eight offense, a top eight defense um in the league which I mean their offense being top 10 or top eight or whatever it is right now is a lie they're like 27th or something in field goal percentage like it's it's a lie you guys can get rough in the half court if they're not like cleaning up their own misses and if they play a team that keeps them out of transition like I don't they don't necessarily have a bunch of answers nope it's gonna be it's gonna be a problem it's it's um yeah they're just not there yet um but but OG being able to be unlocked is sort of the tertiary option, especially because Fred and Pascal get so much attention and because they've just improved so much in their playmaking that they're able to make the right reads. OG and, and Gary are unlocked and have been unleashed and have just been rolling because of it. It's been so much fun to watch when all of the guys are healthy. The only problem is you take one guy out and everything crumbles and they lose to 30 by 30 points to the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> So with everything I just pestered you about in mind, we predicted on this podcast that the Raptors are going to win a playoff series. Are they an actual sleeping giant in the East or are we just a year too early there? I think we're a year too early, but I also look at this Eastern conference and I know everyone's talking about how great they are. It, it feels like the Eastern conference is good, right? It's like they have a lot of good teams. There's no team that feels like they can't fail in the right. playoffs, right? Like there's no available team with unfollow. I don't know words. I can't speak, but um, it, it just feels like every single team is flawed where if the Raptors get the right matchup, sure. They can win a playoff series. I think they're going to be a hard out for any team. They're not a team that gets blown out very often. I know I just talked about, you know, three of their last four games have been blown at blowouts, but if they're healthy and they have their guys there, they're going to be a hard out for any team. It's looking shaky. So some of those teams, I, I certainly think that they have a chance of beating because I don't think that they're particular world beaters, but I don't think it really speaks to the Raptors being there just yet. Um, and I think it speaks to more of the top of the East getting a lot of love despite being very flawed. Yeah, that's a good point where it does, based off the way at least Milwaukee has played for most of this season, uh, they look vulnerable. I mean, they're super, you talk about shallow, like they're shallow. Yeah, they swept now well. the, the Bucks this season. 
Yeah. And I mean, um, then Milwaukee goes out and just like beats Miami without playing like that great of basketball. So there's like, that is the team. And the six, I'm trying not to read. Miami, lo- I feel like Miami, I watched the, the the fourth quarter of that game. And I know Miami was shooting like lights out uh, prior to that. But Miami lost that game. It felt like my uh, Milwaukee did a phenomenal job on Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was completely out of it. And I also think that Miami's offense without Kyle Lowry just, is a problem <laughs> like they don't have much half-court offense as is that's probably their biggest flaw um but without Kyle it was just it it really sort of like I don't trust the ball in Tyler Hero's hands as we saw we probably shouldn't at all times uh as great as he is when it comes down to it in the final moments it's not really much of what I trust so I kind of just look at that and I'm like oh I don't know that Milwaukee should feel great about that win as much as like Miami should feel terrible about it <laughs> So I'm trying not to read too much. I'll jump around here with this. I'm trying not to read too much into what the Sixers have done in the three games with Harden because it was the it was the Timberwolves. They're like they're fine, uh, but the Knicks are just awful. So you beat them twice, and you were trailing by a zillion to them on Wednesday night. But between Miami and Philadelphia, who do you view as more of the serious threat to come out of these? Because those are Miami's just been really good, and I'm watching the Sixers with Harden and how wide open Tyrese Maxey is just all the time now, and I can't help but shake the feeling that. I might be prepared to pick Philly. And I've been banging the Miami drum all year. They were like never healthy. I was looking at it the other day. Lowry, Butler, and Bam aren't even a top 500 used trio in the league this season because of just availability. But who do you think is like the bigger threat to come out of the conference between those two right now? Uh, just the point about the Timberwolves not being great and how it talked about the Raptors being uh, losing in blowout fashion three of their last four games. The one game that they didn't lose was against the Timberwolves. <laughs> the team that like, so so that's where the Timberwolves are. No disrespect to, to them. They, they're having a great season for them. Great. But I like, mean. <laughs> pleasantly sure. in the bottom of the middle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah which, is, which is great for the Timberwolves considering they've made the playoffs once in like my lifetime. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, t- it's it's really tough because I mean Tyrese Maxey look is, is must be so happy becoming the tertiary option with Tobias Harris. My goodness, is your fourth option right there? You probably live in life too. I, I think part of like why the Sixers have been shaky in the past is their crunch time offense. Like when when the game slows down a bit, and be post ups is their offense. Like what what do they really have outside of anything? So having and, and Jimmy was great for them in 2019. Like the ball really went to Jimmy. And I don't I don't know that Jimmy Butler has consistently been a guy who can do it for the first 44 minutes of a game every every night. But he certainly can um, ex- throw the Miami throw the Milwaukee game out. But he certainly can when um, it's close in the final few minutes. And that's what he did. That's what he did against the Raptors in that 2019 series. And this is the first time they really have that guy, but they have a superstar version of that guy at all times. So just James Harden ability to create in, in just James built the James, James, did I call him James Johnson? Um, Cause I've been thinking about the Nets so much. James Harden's oh, ISO ability. <laughs> um, James Harden's ability to create for himself. Uh, James Harden ISO, especially when the game kind of uh, gets down or the wire. Also Joel Embiid has really just never played with a guy who can get him the ball. Sometimes I watch, the Sixers collapse in the fourth quarter, which has kind of been their calling card for for most of that time. And it's like, why is no one getting the ball to James Harden? It's like, they don't really have very many playmakers. They don't have that guy who's going to be able to do that. They also don't have the floor spacing. Uh, And right now they have all of that, right? They have a guy who um, ISO buckets, he can get that for himself. You have a guy who can feed Joel Embiid. You have a guy who can provide floor spacing. Like he kind of can do everything for them. So they're offense just improves tenfold where I'm just like this seems like a really difficult team to beat and also in watching their games my gosh they live at the line and um and it it helps everybody because now you just like kind of brush up on Tyrese Maxey well they're in the penalty so he's going to be shooting free throws as well so it's just like it's it's like annoying watching Sixers games now because they're going to be like a hundred free throws for everybody because Joel Embiid and and James Harden is going to um, put the team in the penalty in every quarter. So I, I, they're just, they're so difficult. And it kind of feels like a honeymoon shine where I'm like, I, I don't like it once until you see something bad, it's like hard for me to be like, Oh, that's going to be a real problem for them. <laughs> um, their bench is still, is still worrisome, but in the playoffs, sure. I mean, I keep talking about the Raptors. I center them in every story, but back to that sort of 2019 playoffs run, the, 
the Sixers were plus 90 with Joel Embiid in that series that came down yeah, to the final was... possession of a game seven, right? So like they need a, a backup guy and, and trading Andre Drummond, I think is, is definitely going to hurt them. Um, and signing DeAndre Jordan is definitely not going to help them. That's nope. at least for sure. No, no, no. I definitely don't think that that's going to uh, help. So I, I'm sure that they have some weaknesses, but like when we see a team just in their honeymoon phase, it's kind of hard to pick it. It feels like Miami is the more complete team of the bunch. Um, so just in terms of like completeness, I would say Miami. Um, I still maybe put my money on them. And part of it is I just love Kyle Lowry so much, but like the Sixers, I mean, Joel Embiid and James Harden is just a ridiculous thing to, to beat it. It's tough. Um, I just think that those two are the two best teams in the East and who it comes down to in the end, I might put my money just on James Harden and Joel Embiid because of who they are um, and how difficult that offense looks like it's going to be to stop. I love how people were so worried about, well, one's a pick and pop big and one's a pick and like, who, it's James Harden, shut up. Like everyone was so worried about that. (laughs) Who cares? Um, And so, yeah, so I don't know. I I think it's going to be the Sixers, but I think it's going to be the heat. And that's my answer is not picking because I love both of them. And those are the two best teams, every other team in the East. I don't care about. Uh, I think with the Sixers, there's a chance that I just might be like shocked at seeing James Harden give a damn again. Like we were watching him so long in Brooklyn this season. So maybe I'm still getting used to that, but I'm with you on the fit with Embiid is like James Harden doesn't even have to like drive the ball anymore because Joel Embiid pops or he can actually catch it like in the middle of the floor. And I, I think that's going to work with Miami though my thought there is Kyle Lowry himself and he is a perennial when we do our all follow them to hell and back and then back to hell again teams on the podcast. He's like a staple in that he hasn't, it's amazing. He hasn't even had like one of his better, like more efficient seasons. And he still just seems so damn important to what Miami does. When you look at what he's doing away from the ball on offense to how he defends. And that's the, that's the, not the only reason, but when you look at sort of the top of those rosters where okay, you have Jimmy Butler, Bam, and Kyle Lowry. Like, those are just three entrenched stars. And so Philly's top-end talent at this point is better. But to have Kyle Lowry as your third best player, maybe you think he's a little bit better, more valuable to them than Bam, whatever, that's that's fine. Uh, they might just be better built for playoff basketball, especially, you know, you mentioned the free throw parade. I don't know how that's going to translate for Philly yeah, in the playoffs. Fair. You know what? You you sold me. Um, mentioned Kyle Lowry as many times as you did, and I'm – you could sell me a car with that. I don't. I don't. Like, I, <laughs> Just mention his name. <laughs> I'm he, buying at all five. Um, but no, I, I think I think that you're entirely correct. And and um, the thing about Kyle's efficiency. So uh, we've had like heat heat fans on um, dishes and dimes, and I've I've done a bunch of heat pods just talking about Kyle Lowry. And one of the things that they were so surprised by was just the run that the bench had when um, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo were out for so long, and they were like, I don't know, they were had. 11 and two or four or something record. Like their, the record was insane without those guys. And I'm like, that's what Kyle does. <laughs> what we're seeing right now is Kyle plus bench, which has been my favorite, my favorite lineup of all time is just bring four guys from the YMCA. doesn't matter. Um, put Kyle Lowry on there and that's going to be a positive net rating any given time. Um, but the point about Kyle not having his most efficient season, and I'm hoping it's that if you look back to the 2019 season where the Raptors won a championship and Kyle Lowry, uh, sorry, Kawhi Leonard was traded to the Raptors. Kyle took such a backseat that most people were like, and even the year before when DeMar DeRozan kind of emerged as a playmaker and a guy with the ball in his hands, Kyle took such a backseat in both of those years. And it was just like, is Kyle hurt? Is he like, is he washed? Can he just not do it anymore? Like Kyle used to be a guy who could attack the basket at will. And he even did that in that you know, post-championship team. Uh, he was doing that quite a bit for the Raptors. And he just did not do that. And it was like, oh, he can't drive. Like, he doesn't have legs. Like, he just, he can't get inside anymore. Um, if he gets to the free throw line, it's because guys are following him on a jump shot. Like, he's just not, he can't do it. He has literally just regressed to just being a perimeter player at this point in his career. Um, and then the playoffs came around and it was like, oh, never mind. Oh, okay. Oh, he's averaging like 20 plus points a game versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, he's like doing this against the Warriors. He was just saving his legs and picking his moments and allowing like Pascal to get going. Like that's the reason why Pascal had his most improved season was Kyle Lowry really taking that sort of backseat. That's, you know, how Kawhi Leonard was really able to fit into this team and you get Danny Green going and all these other guys going. 
Um, and I feel like, and I know Zach Lowe has talked about this as well. I feel like that's probably what Kyle is doing on this team too, fitting in and like making sure Jimmy and Bam and, and, you know, Tyler Hero and whoever else get their own um, and really take the back seat. I think when the playoffs come around, we're going to see him turn the dial up. He's learned to do that ever since getting swept in the 2015 playoffs that like, he just can't, he's not Russell Westbrook. He can't go all out every single game. Like it's a playoff game. He's got to pick his moments and I'm hoping that that's the case. And, and so, yep, I'm sold Miami winning the East. Moral of the story. If you have the option of trading less to get Kyle Lowry or waiting and then giving up way too much for Russell Westbrook, you should go with the former, just a little lesson for the Lakers front <sighs> office for the future. So mad at them. So mad at them. Um, so two of the teams that I think by saying Philly and Miami are the two best teams in the East. And I actually don't disagree with you. Um, I think I'm still a little bit higher on Milwaukee than you, but what do you view Milwaukee as just actually vulnerable? And is that because of, is there anything you're seeing or are you also just looking at the roster and it's like, Oh, they run out of dudes that you like pretty quickly. (laughs) It's that they run out of dudes that you like very quickly where I'm just, they rely on so many guys where I'm like, oh, it's going to be dicey if this guy's in the in the league next year. Um, sorry, Jordan Noir. But um, so. Uh, confidence is aspirational. That's the, the <laughs> I want to have Jordan Noir's confidence. <laughs> um, but no, beyond that, I keep bringing us back to the Raptors. It's, it's, it's a talent, honestly. But um, one of the things that I remembered from the Raptors going up against the the Bucks as many times as they do was how terrified they were of getting inside. Kyle wouldn't do it. Fred, even though Fred would go up against Rudy Gobert if you put him right there, um, because Fred has irrational confidence, um, wouldn't do it. No one would do it. Like the rap in, in order for the Raptors, in order for the Heat, in order for any of these teams to beat the Miami or the Milwaukee Bucks, they needed to be. I like hot from, from beyond the arc. That's, that's how you beat the bucks is the bucks play a drop defense. And so you're going to be left open. And if your guys can hit their shots, you have a chance of winning. And if your guys can't hit their shots, then you're going to lose. That's been the calling card in beating the bucks for years. That's why the Raptors traded for Marcus Gasol was to improve their, their floor spacing to hopefully beat the bucks in the playoffs, which happened. Then this year came and in each of the games, the Raptors played against the bucks they won points in the paint battle. And that's what's sort of terrifying too, because it's like the defense is still the same. It's still guards funneling guys inside to be met with Bobby Portis, not with Lopez. <laughs> like, that's the difference. We're like, no one is scared of that. So to me, that's like the biggest thing is like, they're like, people keep saying, oh, you know, they were kind of like this last year where they took their foot off the gas and they, you know, re- it's completely different. They're they're 17 and 16 against teams above 500. <laughs> they're not they're the the 13th ranked defense. Like they're not doing well at all. And part of that is you have Bobby Portis inside who's not scaring anyone versus Brooke Lopez who was an absolutely terrifying force inside and, and to me that's going to be the difference whereas if teams can still get hot cuz you're still playing the drop and we saw with the Miami game uh, against Milwaukee, Miami was like was hitting every single three and, and that's you know why they had a chance to win a game in the final minutes if teams can still do that but then inside they're being met with Bobby Portis they can get inside as well and so like I'm just not concerned with them because one their bench is non-existent so they don't really have that sixth or seventh guy that I'm worried about they can't get healthy at any given point there's like two or three guys out of their lineup and beyond that if Brooke Lopez isn't healthy and back and there are reports that he's practicing but he's also a guy that's above you know what what is he like 34 or something like at this point and he's coming back, back injuries like with big men back scared the shit out of yeah me. like he's yeah. coming back from like a serious back thing um as an older guy i just don't know that you can slot him into the playoffs especially because i did mention that the top of the east is weak but like i mean they're still good and the bottom of the east is good and that's kind of why the east is so scary right now is just that you have like seven or eight teams that are actually just good um so the first round matchup is going to be against a good team and I'm not going to lie, I would not be, uh, you know, too upset to draw the bucks in those those games because the Raptors have just looked phenomenal against them. The Bucks have a lot of guards and the Raptors have a lot of guys that are 6'9 and they could not see, you know, the DeMar DeRozan too small. Um, that's what the Raptors did to every single guy on the Bucks outside of Giannis. I was probably less in lockstep with you until the Pat Connaughton injury because I the Giannis at center minutes have been that good. But now you're running out of bodies to build out those lineups where you know you have Middleton, 
You know you have Drew. You know you have Giannis. Pat Connaughton is not P.J. Tucker. I want to make that clear. But it was just like, okay, that's a properly sized body who can work in that unit. And then you just fill it out with whoever. Those lineups get tougher now. And I don't know how much you want to play him at center in certain matchups, which really hurts him. And Serge Ibaka is not like Serge Ibaka from like even 18 months ago at this point. He yeah. was dealing with his own back stuff. Back. So the yeah. Brook Lopez injury looms definitely large in, in the East. So that's a great point there. The other team... I've said for like probably the past month and a half that I don't consider the Nets a viable threat anymore to where they're good. And I don't even mean to be like, you know, incendiary with that. It's just maybe Kyrie's playing full time by the playoffs. Maybe Kevin Durant's body holds up. And at this point, we're like, well, maybe Ben Simmons has come back and actually looks good. I'm also a little bit lower on the offensive fit with him than I think a lot of other people. We can mention how, and I'm sure you've heard this because of the Raptors Sixers history, like use Ben Simmons as the screener. It's never really been done, and he's never really been good at it when he does it. Is he comfortable doing it? Is he going to be okay hanging out in the dunker spot even more than he did in Philly if that's what, um, if he's not going to do that in Brooklyn? I have so many questions about them to where I'm like, well, let's see what happens with Kyrie's free agency, and we'll look at, and Kevin Durant's body, and we'll look at this team next year. Is that unfair, or do you still see them as the team that has the, they could totally come out of the East ceiling? Well, Ben Simmons will definitely be fine just hanging out in the dunker spot because he did that for the entire Raptor Sixers series and still found it in him to criticize Embiid for that. That That series of all series to use too, though. Just like... So odd. (laughs) So odd. Like you you were parked in the dunker spot for seven full games. (laughs) Um, Sorry. So um, it's so weird. Like if the Nets, even if like Kyrie can play full time, if they face the Raptors in the first round or they face the Raptors in a play-in game. He's not playing in that one because he still can't come <laughs> to Canada. Like, that's right. Uh, so uh, that's number one. I my, my general rule in life is to never bet against Kevin Durant. And so as long as Kevin Durant can come back, I just, I can't bet against him. So for that reason, yeah, be terrified. Everybody be terrified. But it's, uh, we're, we're getting down to the, towards the end of the season. And if Ben Simmons really does have back issues and, you know, if KD isn't ramping up to start playing anytime soon, and if New York laws don't change, we might just run out of time where it matters. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I keep coming back to is just like the, the randomness of injuries that could happen. I had seen someone say that, like, why would, Harden want to play alongside Embiid given all his injury history over the past three years. Embiid has played in about as many games in the regular season as Kyrie and Kevin Durant have combined now. So he traded up in durability. So there's always just in my head now, the something could still go wrong, even if they're all available. And that's just where I'm at for them this season. The, the bulls are fascinating because they've dealt with a bunch of injuries and absences. Now they're second in the East. DeMar DeRozan has been fantastic. Zach Levine for the most part has been fantastic. Vooch is picking up. Ayo Dusunmu has just been I, incredible. So uh, he guards like eight of the five positions on the floor at once somehow. I don't, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Why does it feel like they're not viewed as like one of the three or four best teams in the East or most likely to come out still? So I saw this tweet and I wish I could give the person credit for it. Um, do you know what the Bulls record is against teams that are above 600? Above 600? Above 600, not 500. Yeah, yeah. No. Got a little. Two and 12. That's not great. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so that's, that's part of it. Um, and like, I, I, I was sitting there being like it, every single like DeMar DeRozan game winner. And like, as someone who, who loves DeMar, I'm, I'm always gonna, um, I'm always going to be a little, a little, um, you know, rose colored glasses as they talk about any of DeMar or Kyle's teams, but it, I was just like, how do they keep squeaking out wins against the Pacers in the like? Why is every game winner against a sub five hundred team? Like, what is happening? Why is no one talking about the quality of opponent that they keep hitting game winners against? Uh, so that's part of it is they just keep squeaking out. They're 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 not convincingly beating good teams. In fact, they're losing against good teams and the bad teams that they're beating. They're doing it at the buzzer. Like their net rating since December first, the last time I checked was like 0.5. Um, so it's like they're not winning convincingly um at all so I think that that's part of it also like their their defense without I mean you're hoping that like it's hard to talk about oh their defense is bad well their two best defenders have been down for or their two best perimeter defenders have been down for you know since December um it but it just kind of 
feels like they're a good regular season story. I don't, it doesn't feel like, and and that's because they, like I said, two and 12 against teams that are above six. I, I knew they were bad. They were, I think they're 12 and they're like five, they're like seven or they're whatever un, against 500 teams and better. That is a, like, you didn't even, or the, whoever found that said like they didn't tick up the winning percentage that much. And it just, no. it just craters. Right. Which is like, and, and it and it just feels like every game I watch against like sub 500 teams or even 500 teams, yeah, they're coming out with the win, but they're coming out with the win because DeMar DeRozan is unstoppable in the fourth quarter, not because like they're convincingly beating any of these teams. And I feel like it at one point it stops being like, you know, a coincidence and is a pattern that they're just not really beating teams convincingly enough for me to peg them as, as a top team. There's like, the cadence to their offense feels like it can be solved in the postseason. I think that's a lot of it yeah. with DeMar DeRozan's game. And even the t- the fact that he, the way he draws shooting fouls is incredible, but it feels like the way he draws fouls is harder to translate into the postseason than it would be for someone who's just like throwing their and hurling their body at the Trigger rim. warning before you talk about DeMar DeRozan's be- uh, inability to draw fouls in the postseason here. I'm a Raptors fan. I need a trigger um, warning before that. <laughs> no, sorry, not didn't I should have thrown up the PTSD signs here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then also it's just like they they need Lonzo and Caruso back to like their yeah. defense has slipped a ton, even with Io playing out of his mind. So I'm with the group think of I don't it's not that I they feel like paper tigers. I don't mean they've had a great season, but yeah. I would pick Milwaukee, I would pick Miami, I would pick Philly over them. Would I, I pick, pick Boston Brooklyn? over them? So you're really hot. That was going to be my final question to you, since I know you won't choose between Miami and Philly, which is fair to come out of the East. You have who's more likely to come out of the East between Boston, Cleveland, and Toronto. If you were ranking those three teams, Boston, number one, they, their defense is just superb. And I, I just think that they have more than Toronto. They have more bodies. They have more shooting. They just have more than Toronto. I think Toronto is hoping that next year they can, Whereas like this is the first year of Toronto sort of building towards this. We're in like year a thousand for the Celtics, it feels like. So they're just they're ahead of Jason the curve. Tatum's only 19. So they have plenty of time. <laughs> um, so so in Boston as as number one. Cleveland, if I don't know what's in the water in Cleveland and why it's hurting all of their guards, but it feels like every single guard that Cleveland has seems to go down. Um, I honestly I I, I this my hot take is if the Raptors can get healthy, Boston and Toronto are the top six teams in the Eastern Conference. Oh, that's not, well, at least not for this podcast. I said Toronto was going to have a four seed uh, by the end of the regular season. <laughs> yes. So so, uh, so that's, okay, so not my my lukewarm take then, or my, my freezing cold take is that the Toronto Raptors and, and Celtics are probably going to be a five, six seed if the Raptors can get healthy, if the Raptors continue. I mean, losing four of their last five, if they, if they just had, if, if they beat the bottom, the sub 500 teams that they should have last week, we would be talking about them as probably the sixth seed along. Like I, they might've even surpassed um, the Cavs at this point because the Cavs have, have slowly been losing games as well. I think the Cavs are like 500 in the last 10. So we could have been talking about the five, six uh, Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors at this point, but the Raptors haven't been able to get their ish together either. So I think it's Boston, Cleveland versus Toronto. Cleveland just feels very inexperienced to me, whereas Toronto, as young and like I mentioned, this is sort of the first iteration. They still have guys that have been there and done that Um, in the playoffs multiple times. Like I think people forget outside of the Kawhi year, they had a better like they were a better defense the following year. They had a better record the following year. Things were looking great for them. And then Pascal Siakam gets hit with the groin injury and everything kind of comes tumbling down. But that Raptors team was really, really good post Kawhi Leonard. And I don't think that's something that people truly remember. Um, So I kind of I'm giving the homer edge to the Raptors and then I'm putting the Cavs there because the Cavs kind of feel like we're happy to be here. Um, Like, thank you for allowing us a seat at the table is kind of how everybody (laughs) in Cleveland feels. Whereas I think the Raptors, they've been there, they've done that, at least um, the top guys in the rotation have. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland, just their offensive hierarchy just runs out pretty quick now. You know you're not getting Sexton back and how healthy will Garland be? I probably have the Raptors a little bit ahead of the Celtics. I know Boston's been surging. I think you can make the case that this. as good as Boston's defense is, that Toronto has the two best individual defenders in that series when you're looking at Siakam and OG Ananobi. Um, the shallowness is a good point because I 
I'm lower on Boston's depth in general, I think, than most, but like they added Derek White. Like they're they are yeah. deeper than Toronto. So that's a tough one. This might need the trigger warning. This is the last question. If it's Raptors Bulls in the first mm-hmm. round of the playoffs, who's winning that series? The Raptors. All right, no hesitation there. I'd agree with you, but that was... Uh, the Bulls and- are very shaky to me. The Bulls have been shaky to me since the first week when everybody's like, what is happening with Chicago? They've won like their first four games. And it's like, yeah, against the Wizards. Like everybody calm down. <laughs> like, Look, after that stat you told me, I'm ready. I'm ticketing them for the lottery. They're never going to be in the playoffs. Somehow. <laughs> That's impossible. Um, Aman, thank you so much for hopping on. This was great. Uh, and thank you for giving us so much of your time. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and all the work that you do? Uh, yeah. So I was about to say nope name. I've changed my my Twitter handle. It's Iman underscore Adan, A-D-A-N. My first name is I-M-M-A-N underscore Adan on Twitter. And uh, I tweet a lot. Um, it's going to be a lot of Raptors takes as well. Um, and I, you can find my work on Basketball News and you can check out my podcast, Issues and Dimes, um, and the Friday Views podcast on Yahoo Sports Canada. Uh and Dimes podcast is fantastic. You all do great work over there. And you're a great follow on Twitter. I know you say you tweet a lot, but uh, aside from watching like movies or shows at 1.5 times speed, you've been a fantastic Twitter <laughs> follow. So I echo everything you said. Thanks again for coming on. And rest assured, I'm, I'm sure I'll be pestering you in the future. This is fun. I, I We will be pestering you to come on Dishes and Dimes soon.